It's 11.30 on the 6th day of January. It's Wednesday, and it means it's time for midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. We'll have uh, we'll hear from Jason. He's on the road right now, traveling with UNK to Missouri. Bob Rogan will tell us how the uh, markets are doing so far, the stocks in particular. Right now we're seeing some rain and snow in the eastern region of Nebraska, eastern region of Kansas as well. But temperatures mostly in the 30s across much of the region. That also brings us to our own Susan Littlefield, who is in the uh, Columbus location between Seward and Columbus. And saw your Facebook video, and it looked like you're getting some decent snow. We are. It is like... I made a comment on social media that it's the kind of snow that's coming down that makes you want to have a big cup of hot cocoa, mm. a, a good book, have the radio on in the background, maybe sit by the fireplace. But the strangest thing is there's no wind. Nobody's complaining <laughs> about that, though, right? I know. But usually when we have snow in Nebraska, <laughs> it's windy. No wind. And, and we'll keep it that way. That is rare. How much snow have you received, by the way? Because it looked like it was pretty heavy, thick snow. Um, there's probably a good half inch wow. on the ground already. Okay. And and it's still it's still coming down as fast as it was in that video that I posted. All right. So you probably probably in, in the realm of maybe an inch by the time this thing is done in your area. Yeah. And I can tell you the corgi is not too happy with the snow today. <laughs> that I have found out. The corgis do love the snow, pouncing around in it. That is for sure. So yes. What do you have for us uh, coming up today? Well, we're going to check out, uh, starting out at 1219, the National Sorghum Producers, their board of directors chairman is Cody Carson. He and I sat down to talk about export opportunities and some unique export opportunities that are happening with China and sorghum. And it's not for food for people, but for fish. So we'll find out more details about what that's all about. Then Alex steps in here at 1245 as we get an update from the U.S. Soybean Export Council on the Phase 1 deal and some emerging markets. This is Part 1 of 2 coming from Alex. And then at 117, the Nebraska Corn Growers Association has a number of programs and scholarship applications that are now open. And these scholarships, some of them are worth $2,000. So we'll have more on that as we wrap up the midday from the farm team. Okay. Thank you very much, Susan. Enjoy that snow. I will. All right. Let's turn over to uh, Jason Jorgensen. He's on the road with UNK as they'll be playing basketball in uh, Missouri, I believe, coming up tomorrow. What can you tell us uh, in sports? Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, it's expected to be a big spring for both the Nebraska and UNK volleyball teams. Preseason rankings came out yesterday. Saw a lot of reaction to that on social media. The Huskers are ranked fifth. That's where they finished in 2019 when they went 28-5. and Big Ten rival Wisconsin, they're ranked number one. The Huskers will open up the year with a two-match series in Indiana. In late January. Also figures to be a big spring for the UNK volleyball squad. Now, the Division II season will be different than the Division I. Uh, the Lopers were the national runner-up in 2019, going 38-1, and Coach Rick Squires returns the nucleus of that team. They picked up 17 first-place votes. Uh, they hope to begin a shortened season on February 22nd. Devontae Smith of Alabama became the first wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy in 29 seasons and just the fourth receiver ever to pick up that award. And a big win last night for sixth-ranked Kansas on the road. They bounced back after they were hammered at home themselves by Texas over the weekend. That and much more is coming up next hour in sports. All right, thank you very much. Let's quickly turn over to Bob Brogan, about 15 seconds. What can you tell us about the business report? Stocks of small companies are moving up, jumping in early Wall Street trading while big tech is slumping today. Okay, thank you very much. Let's turn over to Clay Patton as we officially start midday. 
Tampa Regional Ag Weather Update brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Paul Perkins is now joining us, and Paul, we're seeing a lot of this precipitation we talked about kind of just hunkering down in the eastern region of Nebraska. Especially to the north of the interstate, a lot of that activity right now from about the, oh, we'll say just west of Sioux City to east of Columbus to just northeast of York. But, yeah, a lot of that light snow and rain melting on contact, really not accumulating a whole lot and causing too much in the way of travel problems since those temperatures are in the mid to upper 30s. But, yeah, that moving up towards the north and northeast, even some pockets of rain right now towards about Fremont and Omaha. Good mix there. Now, the temperatures are warm enough where, as you mentioned, nothing is kind of really sticking to the ground. I know Susan mentioned about 15 minutes ago she's received about half an inch of that heavy snow, but that stuff will melt pretty quick. Exactly. And what we have seen, if you are, if you ever happen to look at the road cams out in eastern Nebraska, a lot of the roads are just on the wet side and not sure. causing too much of a travel problem. And as we mentioned, those temperatures for most of us right now in the mid to upper 30s, a little bit warmer as you head towards west and central Kansas right now with temperatures in the low to mid 40s, and that extends all the way into northeast areas of Colorado. Right now, that snow, once again, it's uh, mainly eastern Nebraska from about Lincoln and Seward and points off towards the north, and that is lifting to the north and northeast. But we are seeing quite a bit of sunshine on into western Nebraska and western Kansas, especially if you're along and west of the line from Valentine to Thedford to the Gothenburg area, Norton and Hill City in Kansas. But otherwise, those clouds still fairly tough hanging tough into central and eastern areas. Snow and rain chances will persist into eastern areas of Nebraska through this evening on the backside of an area of low pressure that's moving across the southern plains. Snow accumulations to the east of Highway 81, possibly reaching up to a half to an inch. Northwest winds may gust to about 30 across Kansas into central and east Nebraska today on the backside of this system with some gusty northwest winds. In behind the passage of a cold front, our daytime highs for today through the weekend Going to stay at about seasonal to slightly above average. A little bit more as you, a little bit warmer as you head to the west, thanks to a little more sunshine. Mostly dry weather returns for tomorrow and early next week. That could change to some light snow chances if we do see some low pressure across the northern U.S. Track a little bit more to the south over the weekend, but it looks like the bulk of that system staying well to our north. A building ridge of high pressure. Over the southwest U.S. will warm our temperatures to above average by early next week. For the long-term forecast, in this typically coldest time of the year, temperatures in Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the central and western U.S. forecast to be warmer than normal from Monday all the way through January 19th. So the worst of the winter, not going to be too bad. For central Nebraska, mid-January daytime highs are usually in the upper 30s with average overnight lows in the mid-teens. Nebraska and Kansas precipitation for Monday through the 19th expected to be mostly near normal, but that's mainly with just some systems coming out of the northwest that won't be dropping us a whole lot of moisture. Key weather factors affecting the markets include rain chances for central Argentina and varying amounts of rain across Brazil. Here in the U.S. for the end of the week, light snow will fall as far east as the northern plains. The Dakotas recently have turned notably drier, especially over the last few weeks of last year into the start of this year. Late week light snow may also blanket wheat areas of the southern plains. Brazil rain totals could continue to be uh, variable. Most primary row crop areas of central and southern Brazil have seen below average rainfall with the stress of dryness, variability in rain, and dryness will continue. Only light to moderate rain in the forecast for central and southern Brazil. In central Argentina, there's a prediction for moderate rain the next 10 days, but any benefit to pollinating corn expected to be on the marginal side.
So once this system moves out of the eastern Nebraska region, is there anything going to be developing behind it today, or is it, or will we just be done? It looks like uh, pretty much some clearing skies. A uh, few systems going to be coming in over, from the northwest over the few days, and that will be bringing kind of reinforcing the cooler air in place and also some periods of cloudiness over the next few days. Now, I know we did talk about yesterday and leading up to today, some areas in central areas, uh, mostly north of I-80, might have saw some of that snow and rain. Didn't see much from this at all. No, a lot of it, uh, it finally picked up ahead of steam with some decent moisture on it to eastern areas in Nebraska. And since it's falling more as a mix, we're not seeing too much in the way of accumulation. Okay, very good. Uh, for a full weather forecast again, where can uh, a listener go to? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you very much, Paul. Thursday night, it's high school and UNK basketball from KRVN Sports. As Highline visits SCM, and we will bring you all of the action on 880 KRVN. Our coverage on Thursday starts with a final hybrid spring game show for the girls' game at 550 with the boys' game to follow. On 93.1 The River and 106.9 in Kearney, it's UNK basketball as the Lopers are on the road at Lincoln University with the women's game at 530 and the men's game at 730. That's high school and UNK basketball this Thursday night from KRVN Sports. District. So what are export opportunities for sorghum producers? Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Cody Carson is the National Sorghum Producers Board of Directors Chairman. We talk exports and looking forward to 2021. Well, certainly. That's one thing that I really appreciate about the the National Sorghum staff and and the checkoff program and, and the effort they put into things. We're constantly looking at, at new and emerging markets and trying to find a niche where uh, we fit well and, and provide a, an added benefit. Of course, people think of China as, as the main consumer of U.S. sorghum, which they are. But we've also made some great inroads into Vietnam uh, in their aquaculture. They're feeding a lot of fish with U.S. sorghum there. And uh you know, we, we continue to look for, for those niche areas. You hate to put all your eggs in the china basket because you, you never know when that handle could break off. I, I like that you bring up all of the different uses uh, for sorghum. And I guess I hadn't heard about the aquaculture side of it. So that, to me, is very intriguing. But the two biggest uses of sorghum in China are actually for duck feed. It provides a, a color and flavor of, uh, to the fat and the meat that they, they really like. And then it also goes into bajo production, which is the largest uh, single-consumed alcoholic beverage in, in the world. And they, they really like U.S. sorghum for those qualities in that commodity as well. What are you looking forward to when it comes to 2021? It's been a lot of struggle across the U.S. agriculture, weather-wise, too much water, too little, hurricanes, uh, a strong wind, it's wildfires, the anxiety and the stress from the from the COVID. It's it's been a very unusual year, uh, but I think agriculture as a whole is an optimistic group, and we have to look for the light at the end of the tunnel. And I look forward to uh, some of the 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 gains in trade relationships that we have made, and and hope that the new administration will take those and build upon them. Uh, I certainly hope that that we have a, a good and, and favorable relationship with with the whatever administration takes takes us into the next year. And at NSP, we've already begun working on the new farm bill and, and trying to make sure that all commodities are are fair, fairly and well represented in that. 
there's, uh, I guess, a never, never ending amount of work to it, but I personally am ready to put this one behind me and, uh, and, and let's just, uh, talk, chalk it up to experience and move on. Well, wonderful. Is there anything else that you would like to add, Cody? You know, one thing that I would encourage people to, uh, to take a look at sorghum for one thing, we need, uh, we need more of the product. It's, it's readily sellable. There's a, a great market and a great basis, uh, from a historic standpoint and just from a commodity standpoint with lower inputs. And one thing that I think uh, is a key buzzword that's out there right now is sustainability. It's like the, uh, the urban crowd has picked up on that, but I think we as farmers have been searching for sustainability for generations, you know, and what, what we perceive as sustainable uh, may not have the, uh, the warm fuzzy feeling that they're looking for, but, but sustainability is taking care of our land, being a good steward of what we've been blessed with and, and hopefully handing it off in better shape to the next generation. Those comments are coming from Cody Carson, National Sorghum Producers Board of Directors Chairman. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, it figures to be a big spring for both the Nebraska and UNK volleyball squads. The Huskers are ranked fifth in the AVCA preseason rankings. They went 28-5 in 2019 and returned their entire lineup. They'll open up the year with a two-match series in Indiana on January 22nd and 23rd. UNK is number one in the Division II preseason spring poll. The Lopers went 38-1 in 2019 and finishes the national runner-up. Head coach Rick Squires returns a nucleus of that team. The Lopers picked up 17 first-place votes. UNK hopes to begin a shortened season on February 22nd. Devontae Smith of Alabama is the first wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy in 29 years. Crimson Tide seniors also just the fourth receiver to ever win it, joining Michigan's Desmond Howard, Notre Dame's Tim Brown, and, of course, Nebraska great Johnny Rogers. Sixth-ranked Kansas has matched its own Big 12 record by winning 11 consecutive conference road games. 9-2 Jayhawks won 93-64 TCU, which went into the game on a five-game winning streak. The win in Fort Worth also came three days after the Jayhawks' 25-point loss at home to Texas. That matched the most lopsided win by an opponent in the 65-year history of Allen Fieldhouse. And four players in their first year of eligibility are among the 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2021. Quarterback Peyton Manning, defensive back Charles Woodson, wide receiver Calvin Johnson, and defensive end Jared Allen lead the list of finalists. As many as five of the finalists will be chosen later on this month for enshrinement. That is a look at sports. For more, you can find it anytime at krvn.com. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. It's time for Midday News, and Dave Schroeder has now stepped in. And, Dave, today's a big day in Lincoln. Yep, they uh, gaveled the opening of the Nebraska legislature this morning in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we have a new Speaker of the House. The 170th Speaker of the legislature, we should say, the 107th legislative first session got underway this morning. Assembled in the George W. Norris Legislative Chamber of the State Capitol at the hour of 10 a.m. on Wednesday, January 6, 2021, is now called to order. 
That's Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley. Senator Mike Hilgers of Lincoln asked for support from his colleagues to serve as Speaker of the Legislature. I know we have 49 committed public servants who are not here for the money, who are here to make a difference for their community. And we have something else that no one else in any other state in this country has. We have a special tool that's been given to us by Nebraskans, and I gotta tell you, they expect us to use it. And that is this place. It's the unicameral. Well, Hilgers was elected speaker for the next two years. Lawmakers have several big issues to debate, including a proposed $230 million prison and the mandatory redrawing of the state's political districts. The old Creamery building in Eustis, Nebraska, is under new ownership and is bringing small business owners' dreams to life with kitchens at the Creamery. Lori Johnson Berkey is the owner and says the space will be used for rent by businesses who need a commercial kitchen to make their product. Johnson Berkey shares how she was inspired to create kitchens at the Creamery. In the fall of 2019, I pretty much retired from being a registered nurse. And so I started exploring how to make rustic crackers that I could not find in this area. And then I started working with natural leaven spreads, too, and learning how to do that. And I couldn't find what I really wanted in terms of a commercial kitchen. I was offered to use space that, uh, from a catering company or a restaurant, but not to have space specified for what I wanted to do. So I thought I could share it with other people. If you'd like to use the space for your own cooking or baking business, you can contact Lori at the website kitchensatthecreamery.com. Kansas Senator Jerry Moran says he will vote to certify President-elect Joe Biden's victory in the Electoral College. Moran's announcement means he is breaking with President Donald Trump and others in the GOP trying to overturn the result. Moran stands ahead of a joint session of Congress today that is expected to confirm the Democratic president-elect's victory in November. Also puts Moran at odds with all of the other Republicans in Kansas's congressional delegation. Meanwhile, Republican legislators and Kansas GOP Attorney General says privacy is key as Kansas lawmakers prepare to decide whether to rewrite a law that allows people exposed to COVID-19 to refuse to disclose their close contacts to health officials. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly wants legislators to rewrite the law enacted last year, arguing that the provisions allowing people to opt out of contact tracing serve no purpose. Attorney General Derek Schmidt and Republicans in the GOP-controlled legislature aren't ruling out changes, but some say they want to make sure that people's privacy remains protected. The law is set to expire May 1st. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. We're getting an update from the U.S. Soybean Export Council, and today we're joined by Jim Sutter. He is the CEO of the council. Jim, I want to start off our conversation by talking about the phase one trade deal with China. Um, I've seen some comments or questions, rather, about whether or not China would stay in the trade deal and keep buying commodities like soybeans with the new Biden administration. So what can you provide as an update on that front? Well, that's a good question. I guess uh, my my take on the phase one trade deal, um, we suffered through some pain to get to the phase one trade deal. And I think everybody realizes that, whether it uh, was uh, the Trump administration or another administration. And I think also people realize that this phase one trade deal has some very good benefits in it for U.S. agriculture. 
and I think the U.S. economy overall. So I think it's my would be my opinion that certainly the phase one trade deal will continue. I think uh, it's yet to be seen what sort of uh, international trade policy the new administration wants to put in place. But I can't imagine that they would want to do anything to disrupt what now I think most industries, if they would pull those, would say has been a, uh, you know, we've seen a vast improvement since the start of the phase one trade deal. Yeah, I was going to say in the past month, month and a half, two months, we've seen quite a few soybean purchases. That's really helping them meet their target. Update us on that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so when the phase one trade deal was signed in January, uh, then there was a period of time, I think, where people and the marketplace sort of generally was maybe disappointed that we weren't seeing more activity taking place. But I think there was a, there was actually a lot of behind the scenes activity where there was a lot of work on numerous SPS phytosanitary agreements that needed to be made. And I uh, just as earlier this week, I heard Undersecretary McKinney talking about 50 of those having been concluded and put in place in a very quick order of time and, and really through hard work by both uh, USDA, USTR and Chinese negotiators getting that all done. And that set the stage for this phase one trade agreement, which we have seen good soy purchases, and I think good purchases of other ag commodities as well. From soybeans perspective, we are at now record levels uh, of sales on the books to the Chinese for this time of year. We were asked a few months ago to kind of project where we thought exports could end up the year. That's always very uh, hard and tricky to do. But we said we thought that they could get back to the level, the previous record that we'd seen before at a 36 million ton annual number. And I think that will looks like we're going to hit that and may even exceed it. So I think the Chinese, uh, from our perspective, are living up to the spirit of the agreement. Now, I don't know if they'll exactly hit the numbers in the agreement, but certainly they have stepped up their purchases. And the other thing I would say is, uh, you know, I think actually they're, they're probably buying to meet demand. It's not just buying to fulfill an agreement. I think the Chinese truly need what they are purchasing. Our boots on the ground team in China tells us that these soybeans are being turned into meal and oil and uh, the meals being fed to livestock and the oils being used. And so it's not a stockpiling exercise, which I think is really uh, good and important for us to keep in mind. So what are you guys trying to do then to carry that momentum into the first quarter or the first half of year 2021? Yeah, so I think uh, I think we will see the the, the sale books continue to be executed. Uh, I've been hearing talk that there may be some more sales made for February shipment. Uh, I'm not sure about that yet. We'll have to wait and see how that turns out. And then I think we have to be prepared, Alex, for the kind of the natural shift to where China will shift their buying program more to Southeast, uh, more, more to the Southern Hemisphere, to South America, where they will start buying from Brazil once that crop becomes available. And that's what we've seen China do for years. And I think that's what China likes to do is have a couple of suppliers that they can go back and forth with. So I think we'll see that happen. But then after they kind of run through that cycle, then I think what's important is that we grow a a good crop of soybeans uh, next year because we're going to come into the end of this marketing year and start the next marketing year with very low supplies. So we are going to have a very low carryout, whereas two years ago we had a record high carryout. We're going to be back approaching a record low carryout uh, uh, on August 31st of 2021. So I think it's important we grow a good crop. 
And the other thing we're really focusing on is making sure that we continue to work with all the other markets around the world. We do not want to be a China only market. We, uh, we want a wide, we want a long list of customers for U.S. soy. We want a diverse uh, a set of people that are looking at the great product that we have to market. And uh, while China is very important because they're such a large buyer on the world stage, we want to have a lot of other markets too. All right. Well, also on our list of things to talk about today is market diversification and emerging markets. Tell us more about this from the council's perspective. We're trying to not only diversify markets to other, uh, you know, obviously, you know, places, you know, so China's big, Europe, Japan, Korea, Mexico, those have been very traditional markets. But we're uh, we, at the direction of the United Soybean Board and some strategic planning work they did a few years ago, we are really doing more work in emerging markets. So think of places like uh, Nigeria, which is an early stage development market. But we're really optimistic that the uh, whole sub-Sahara Africa region in time can become a large market for U.S. soy and, and other U.S. ag products as well. But certainly for U.S. soy, we have a focus going on there. We are opening up a soy excellence center there to try and help educate people. And this is kind of early stage. I like to think of it almost like extension type work that we do. How can they improve their chicken production practices, their aquaculture production practices, that sort of thing. So we get in there, we build relationships as they're developing, just as we did in China 40 years ago. Uh, so as they turn into more of an importer, we already have that relationship and we're not coming just to sell them something, but we, we have a long-term relationship. All right. Thanks so much, Jim. That again, Jim Sutter joining us. He's the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, and we will be continuing part two of our conversation tomorrow. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Wall Street is piling into stocks of smaller companies, banks, and other businesses that would be winners if Washington can prop up the economy with another dose of financial support amid rising expectations that Democrats may take control of Washington. Most stocks across Wall Street were higher after Democrats won one of the two runoff elections in Georgia that will determine which party controls the Senate. The second runoff was still too early to call, and the S&P 500 was up 1.4% in afternoon trading. The New York Stock Exchange has reinstated plans to delist shares of three Chinese state-owned phone carriers under an order from President Donald Trump. The exchange said initially on January 1st that it would remove China Telecom Corporation Limited, China Mobile Limited, and China Unicom Hong Kong Limited, only to withdraw the decision on Monday. Trump's order bars Americans from investing in securities issued by companies deemed to be linked to the Chinese military. In a statement today, the New York Stock Exchange says it reversed course following new specific guidance. Walgreens Boots Alliance will sell its pharmaceutical wholesale business to Amerisource Bergen in a $6.5 billion cash and stock deal. Pharmaceutical wholesalers essentially act as middlemen, purchasing drugs from manufacturers and then distributing them to customers like drugstore chains. Walgreens says it will now have the flexibility to invest in and focus on its retail business, 
which, like others, has been rattled by the COVID-19 pandemic. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Coronavirus crisis. I'm in a New York state of mind. No longer in a New York state of mind, people are moving out of the Empire State in droves. New York's population shrunk more than any other state between July 2019 and July 2020. More than 125,000 people left in that time period. Not far behind were Illinois and California, according to recently published Census Bureau data. This trend of Americans leaving high-tax states isn't new, but the pandemic sped it up. People are heading into states where the weather is warmer, the taxes are lower, and they can afford a bigger house with more space. Texas and Florida, both of which have no state income tax, saw the biggest growth. Arizona came in third. With work from home continuing into the new year, experts say it's likely people have moved will stay put and the trend will continue. In Chicago, Grady Trimble, Fox News. Coronavirus. Today, we are getting an update from the Nebraska Corn Growers Association and a couple of things they have on their agenda coming up in the next couple of months. And we are joined by Morgan Rick. She's the director of grower services with the association. Morgan, we'll start off with this one because we just heard that applications are now open for the flagship program. Tell us a little bit about the flagship program and some important information we should know. Thanks, Alex. So flagship stands for Future Leaders in Ag Scholarship Program. And so this is a scholarship program for high school seniors and college freshmen who are continuing their education in the state of Nebraska. And they could be attending a two-year school or a four-year school. Uh, It doesn't matter, but they must be attending school in Nebraska. The flagship program is five $2,000 scholarships, and then three are set aside strictly for agriculture students, and two are open to non-ag students. And these applications are due in March, is that correct? Correct. So they must be postmarked or emailed by Friday, March 5th of this year. And another um, sticking point of this application is that the students must be a member of the association themselves or the son or daughter of an NECGA member. And if a student is interested in becoming a member themselves, they're only $20 for one year. Okay. So Morgan, we also have information on the Prime program. This was something that was announced about a month or two ago. So give us an update on the Prime program. Sure. So the Prime program is our Young and Beginning Producer program. This is a year-long program. Uh, The participants will meet three times over the course of the year. We meet spring, summer, and then winter in conjunction with the NECGA annual meeting. Applications are open now, and they're due at the end of this month, January 29th, and they can be emailed Uh, And more information about that is on our website. Perfect. Also on the agenda that we're going to talk about today is the annual meeting for the Nebraska Corn Growers Association. And that one's right around the corner. What are some things that are going to be discussed during the meeting? Sure. So our annual meeting is on Thursday, uh, January 21st. And we are currently planning on being at the Holfest Center in York. Uh, Of course, if things change, we may have to move virtually. But our annual meeting is a time for delegates from local associations across the state to come together and decide the policy that will guide the association for the coming year. So we go over all of our resolutions, and then we also will um, elect at-large board members during the annual meeting. 
And to get information on the agenda or to get information about all of these applications, Morgan, what's the best place to get all that information? The best place to find out more information about these programs is on our website, which is necga.org. All right. Great information as always. Thanks so much, Morgan. That again is Morgan Rick joining us. She's the director of grower services with the Nebraska Corn Growers Association. Just as a recap, applications for the Prime program are due January 29th. Applications for the flagship program are due by March 5th of 2021. And then the annual meeting is coming up right around the corner. It's scheduled for January 21st in York at the Holthus Convention Center. Now, along with the annual meeting, the association is also seeking candidates for two at-large positions to serve on the board of directors. The at-large positions serve for a three-year term. And if you have interest in furthering your service to the corn industry and you're a member of the Nebraska Corn Growers Association, you just need to contact them by January 15th. Again, you can find all of this information at necga.org. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Play Penn on the Rural Radio Network. Typically this time of day, we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, unfortunately, unavailable here this afternoon. So we take a look at the grain settlements ourselves as we see soybeans end right in the middle of their day's trading range though adding another 10 to 15 cents to most contracts corn will follow suit adding nearly two and three quarters to three and a half cents to most contracts over in the wheat trade today though they are the first grains here to stumble out of the gate and they will end anywhere from four and a quarter to five and three quarters lower in kansas city to three quarters to six and a half lower in the chicago wheat trade overall usda did fire the demand bull back up here this morning announcing their first flash sale in 2021 of 102,000 metric tons about four million bushels of corn sold to unknown destinations in the in the current marketing year. Soybeans continue to rally back around with momentum traders continuing to ease in and most analysts predicting that traders are uh, pricing in a 2.5% stocks to use ratio coming out in next Tuesday's WASDE report from the World Outlook Supply and Demand Sheet. However, in their last report that set closer to about 3.9% so that would be a dramatic drop but we have seen indicators that it could be possible especially with those latest uh, export inspection reports showing that USDA uh, mislabeled on one report 30 million bushels of soybeans from 50 to 80 million bushels. So still some very strong encouragement there to continue pressuring the soybean market closer to $14, trying to achieve that technical level. Over the corn trade, though, $5 was the overnight high as we saw March and May both break out to 502 and a half and 502 and three quarters, respectively. Then they started to settle back in through the rest of the day, but settling just a few pennies higher than where they did yesterday, once again, inching incrementally towards that $5 mark, which at this point had been a point of resistance, so maybe now where they've broken through that ceiling can start to try and turn this thing back around. Mike Zuzel at the Midday Market Commentary talking about how important the currencies are going to continue to play going forward. Today, the U.S. dollar index currently trading just three ticks higher. It has been up, though, as much as nearly 10 to 15, so it's definitely moving down lower on its day's trading range, still near 32-month lows, though, in the big picture. So U.S. dollar index friendly to U.S. exports, continuing to move forward with a possible blue 
massive wave sweeping not only the uh, Senate or the House, but now the Senate as well, possibly, and the executive branch. This has uh, more stimulus likely coming to Wall Street. We'll see if that creates more inflationary bias and pressure back over into this grain trade. The FOMC meeting minutes from December coming out here today as well, and they agree they believe there will be more inflationary bias seen in 2021. That very well could lead back into the grain trade, which saw inflationary bias coming out of the end of 2020, continuing to propel these markets somewhat higher with intermediate volatility in between reports or next data points. That is a check here of the closing grain futures. Again, stronger day for soybeans and corn, lower for the wheat trade overall. All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up midday here on this Wednesday afternoon. If you missed anything, listen to our midday podcast sponsored by Deveni Motors. Find that at krvn.com or where podcasts are available.